Everyone runs away from pain, dodging the truth it comes with. But you are done with limiting your greatness in the shackles of fear. You see fuel in the fire. You taste ripe fruit in real answers. You move to the drums with wild expression. Enter From Pain to Gain, the podcast about identifying pain so you can ultimately gain health and wealth. Because without identifying a mountain, how can you climb it? Here's your host, Ivan Alpha. Welcome to the deal-making audiobook. Eventually, this will be in writing, but let's go ahead and just jump right in because I'm sure a lot of you want to do deals, want to learn negotiations. But before I jump in, I have my good friend, my BFFFFF, forever, 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 Jason Montoya here with me to help out. He's great at asking the right questions, which that's why he's here. He, he wants to get the best stuff out of me so I could share it with you. So Jason, could you briefly describe who you are? Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm Jason Montoya, friend of Ivan. Um, I am a digital marketer, consultant, author, writer, podcaster. Um, and uh, yeah, just happy to help ask some questions and explore this topic of negotiating. Awesome. Let's jump right in. To describe what we're going to do here is a, a great little interview I heard with Gene Wilder. He was asked if he had ever had a massive disagreement with his business partner, filmmaker, Mel Brooks. He said, there was only one time where I got red in the face, just pissed off that a scene didn't get approved with Mel. He initially responded, hey, Gene, that's a bit too frivolous. And he just kept pressing on. Gene was not going to allow this scene not to be filmed and put in the movie and ended up being a great movie uh, scene that everybody recognizes. But ultimately, Mel allowed it to be in the film because he, he said one thing. All right, Gene, if you're fighting this hard to put this in the movie, it must mean a lot to you and it must be worth it. This sort of stuff is going to happen as you're negotiating. It's not going to all be a walk in the park. Don't get me wrong. Some of these deals that I described were negotiated in a few minutes. But there were also some tough, long conversations that had to happen to make a deal happen. All right. So what you got to decide is if you're willing to do that. Be it an easy deal or a long, tough conversation. You know, ultimately, this business is not a popularity contest you're going to have to have those tough conversations to make a deal work. That all said, are you ready to rock? Let's go into this deal making. This first transaction I want to describe, we'll just call it as M1. All right. So the, I'm going to describe some of the kind of talking points of the property. So you get an overview of what happens and you could maybe think, oh, this applies to my property because it has this sort of criteria. The owners were ex-siblings uh, because after the father passed away, they were not really on good terms. The way the inheritance was um, basically, the estate was provided to everybody. There was a total of four siblings, uh, two from my separate mother. The property type was vacant totally distressed, full of mold. And 
The closing timeline was initially 21 days, ended up being 120 days because we didn't initially know how complicated the probate process was, all the documentation behind it. So to jump right in, I'm going to describe three points. And Jason, feel free to jump in with any questions as I describe these points or even outside of these points to really help anybody understand this. I want a beginner to be able to understand how this was negotiated. Point number one, the family may not necessarily always stay family after an inheritance is given. Uh, this, in this case, a father decided one person should manage everything and that caused a lot of stress. Not only that, one of the siblings, the brother, ended up taking all the cars immediately without letting the entire estate uh, go through the entire legal process. That caused a lot of stress. And so um, why, why is it that that inheritance has such a, a diversive um, effect? If I had to put it into one kind of biblical sense, even though that might turn people off, it's so easy, especially in America, to make money your God. And I feel like that was what happened in this case. Everybody, instead of focusing that they were blood, they were focusing on that person got this property, that person got this amount of money, that person, it was all pointing fingers and not even having a second thought about what happened to the father, right? He's probably rolling over in his grave that his children are fighting over this. So knives out is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. The movie comes to mind. So what, but how common is that? Is, is that a common thing or is that a rare thing? I've been lucky that most of the probate properties I've had were solely one or two siblings. So I guess the more people involved, the more worse it can get. Okay. Actually, there was another property that is still in my queue, my attorney has it, that has 12 total descendants. So that's a whole other jar of worms because we're not just talking about siblings now. Since the father didn't write a will like this particular father did, it is just all out yeah, in the open. 12 people dividing, you know, whatever X amount percentage of the property. Uh, so notices have to be sent out to them. Attorneys have to be involved in the probate. The, it, the impossibility of even getting those 12 people from out of state, by the way, because they don't live here in Georgia anymore, is just almost impossible to get them into a court, a probate court to agree on anything. So that case has been dragging on for two years. Mm -hmm. uh, but what you're also saying is, you know, it, it can go bad, but it can go worse if these things aren't dealt with before the death happens. Yeah. So as a separate piece of advice, even for your own family, have a will that's very clear <laughs> yeah. and very reasonable to everybody. All right. Um, so that's the first point. What's the second one? Second point. I'm just trying to think if there's anything with the first one that I missed. Yeah, let me, let me jump back on that. The family, you're not, you have to think about this from a perspective of a mediator. So if you're, Let's say you have a situation where you're a mediator for some reason for two, two people you absolutely hate. Let's say one, one member is the KKK leader. Um, you got 
uh, award every year for the last five years. The other person is uh, uses pit bulls to, to fight other dogs with. Uh, you as a mediator, you're not there to judge what either of these uh, people are doing. You ultimately are an unbiased third party. Not that I hated these folks, but they're going to be saying things that are going to make you question them as a human being. Like some of the sentences I heard them talking about their family members, I was like, oh my, that's heavy handed. And even like to take a step back, I had to take care of my own emotional state throughout that because to be in the middle of that rigmarole, that drama, that family drama was not all that great for me either. <laughs> I had to step back and realize this has nothing to do with me. I'm just an unbiased third party getting them to all sign one document stating, you'll get this amount of money, you'll get that amount of money. Ultimately, it ended up being 25% uh, uh, for all four of them, which took even, that took even a, a long time of negotiations. But ultimately, I, I was able to convince them by telling them, hey, it's 100% of zero or 100% of something. So just mm -hmm. agree to that at least. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What also helped me to negotiate that was the kind of person that was left in, in charge of the estate was also left with other property. So this was not the end of the road for her. There were, I think there was even 40 acres that she still had that could, she could sell later. So that helped her to convince uh, to get a, a equal share too, because initially she wanted uh, like 75% of it. All right. So that's number one. Number two, the, on the day of closing, the closing property taxes, the prorations for it, turned out to something like $800. And I'm pretty sure it was agreed upon that this was something that the sellers would pay, the proration. It's reasonable in, here in Georgia to pay whatever. Like if you owned it to June, you pay half of the year of prorated taxes. But the main person of that kind of estate was like, I am not doing any of that. Which, whatever it was, 800 divided by four was something like, I don't know, $200 or something. And she wanted the other siblings to, to cover that. And even asked me to cover that on the day of closing. <laughs> when it was pretty clear, this is standard fare. You're making tens of thousands of dollars but you're going to kill a deal over $200. So this is another part of kind of the, the anger, the wanting to act out, wanting to swipe somebody on the way out. That was not that great on me either. I'm, I'm glad to say though, I didn't react. And this is a great tip. Don't react when you're, you're feeling like this is going an awful way, the way they're treating their siblings, the way they're, you know, talking about their father, how he was as a person. Like, don't take that into your soul. Instead, just be more logical. In this case, I had to take out my fangs on the day of closing. Um, but ultimately, it was for the best. And I was still professional about it because with her saying, I'm going to kill this deal over $200, I just said straight up, okay, well, I'll just tie up the property on a lien. And because I have a contract, 
and you didn't follow through on the contract, and you're not going to get any money for probably years until this lawsuit is resolved. And I didn't want to be that guy to threaten legal uh, you know, consequences, but that was logical. Um, and it ultimately needs to be done for us to sign on that day. And just to talk about that timeline a little bit leading up to closing, I did have to you know, coordinate the different four folks to go to UPS, get a document notarized. One of them actually, no, two of them lived here. So I actually went ahead and notarized them in person. So I did run around a little bit to get the deal done too. So that's to say also don't, especially if you got your numbers right, don't put any work like above you. Like I can't be going around having people sign documents. I need to be getting more deals in. No, there's, there's things you got to do to get deals done. And that's one of the things I have to do, especially with how much rapport I've built with them. That's another key piece. I built rapport of, being that guy that's calm all the time as opposed to the guy that's running around with his head cut off. Yeah. Um, point number three. In the middle of this, I managed 12 sales associates, which uh, one of them was supposed to take the lead on this, but didn't quite know everything to do. So there's two points here. I should have trained them better, having a procedure, standard operating procedures. Uh, knowing when to bring me in because this deal could have actually fell through the cracks if we didn't have like a, uh, a huddle, a morning huddle uh, because they were starting to lose patients. Keep in mind, this was 21 days to be, it was supposed to have closed. Um, and then number two, I've noticed uh, even the mentors of mine have told me that when you're managing people, the maximum amount you want to be managing at a time is four and I was doing 12. I was pretty ineffective as a manager back then. So that's two tips on that point three. And that's kind of the main points I wanted to cover on that particular deal. So um, what, was the, what was the outcome of the deal? It did prof- end up very profitable. Um, it was a little bit of a rigmarole and it was stressful in the midst of it. But ultimately, cooler heads win the deal. And that's what I employed on that. So when you, when you talk about negotiating, was it simply the primary aim of the negotiations of this was getting the family to be um, less emotional and more rational, um, more, more process oriented and less reactionary. Is that the essence of what the negotiation was about? Yeah. And it was really also about getting them to the next step. Uh, okay. That's also a part of sales 101. You don't want to tell somebody, oh, you got a probate process. We need to file this paperwork. Then we've got to make sure we're closing this attorney gets this paperwork. Then we've got to make sure the seller information sheet is filled out. And you don't want to send that all in one email because that'll be terrifying. And that'll just lead to inaction for any particular seller or anybody really you're doing with mm-hmm. so metaphorically you had a family uh they were in a room all of them had guns pointed at each other and you were there to tell them to put the guns down and have a cup of tea together <laughs> yes 
least for a little while. <laughs> and once the deal was done, were there any regrets? Anybody that felt, um, was it, did everyone feel like it was fair? Did people feel like they were um, taken advantage of? How, how did the post um, deal um, sentiment, uh, how did that play out? It wasn't really that much uh, drama afterwards. Everybody just kind of got their money and ran away. Yeah. <laughs> what me as a Christian was was hurtful about, because, you know, I'm sure you do this, Jason. When you see somebody in pain, when you see somebody kind of acting out, um, you, you want the best for them, right? And I noticed when I was in a period of, of acting out and stuff like this, it was because I didn't forgive somebody. And I noticed that's what that primary person was doing. And I three, three days after closing, I said, hey, you know, all this angst you have towards your siblings, be them from another mother in some cases or not, that's hurting you. That's not hurting them. They're going to keep on hating you, uh, whatever they're going to do. What's the phrase? Uh, it's like drinking the poison and hoping somebody else dies. <laughs> dies. <laughs> <Bitterness>. <laughs> That's essentially what's going down when you're not forgiving somebody. You're just drinking poison forever with all this hatred just building up in you. And it doesn't allow you to break through to the next part of your life. I think that's what's... Uh, what folks that win the lottery are go through, right? They they don't know, they don't know how to overcome what they were already kind of having in their lives, and they just got money thrown at them. Whatever they had going on in their lives is only going to get worse yeah. because they don't know how to overcome it. Yeah. So what, uh, and just in terms of effective negotiation, what other lessons learned did you take away from this experience that? you apply to your work and going forward? One point I just remembered was that it, at face value, this property would not have looked like it could be a, a profitable deal because it was falling over, it's in shambles, mold all over it. But I'm glad we ran our numbers right to be able to make sure it was profitable. It was in a great neighborhood. That was really the biggest differentiator. It was in Decatur, which is hitting upwards of 400 grand. So that's one aspect. Uh, another thing I just thought of was the, I actually came into this deal like weeks, like I mentioned before, weeks later, after it was already started, the, the paperwork was signed, purchase and sale agreement, the offer was signed. So that's another aspect to this. You could outsource the front end of this so that you only de deal with the, kind of more nuanced issues to get it to the closing table. And that's also another sales technique. Fill that pipeline up as much as you can so that you always have not only money coming in, but you have a consistent pipeline for people to do work. You don't want to have your admin staff just kind of twiddling in their thumbs, you know? So that's sales 101. And yeah. That's kind of the last tip I had on this transaction for negotiation. All right. 
All right. What else you got for us? Well, I'm actually limiting this to one episode uh, out of the 22. So I just so want to. You're going to make people for wait for the next story? Can you give what, them a tease? Motivation? Can you give them a little tease of what's to come? I'll give them a little tease. So this was more of the, the tough one. I wanted to start off tough, but I've had negotiations happen where I was literally texting for five minutes and I got a 40 grand price reduction on a property. Yeah. So that can be as easy as that. It's not always like you got to go through this. Yeah. Rigmarole. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's the, one of the so this. Yeah. So you're, you're, this is um, one of, uh, you said 22 stories you're going to share. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. So the reason I have 22, as opposed to the 70 plus deals I've done over the years is that ultimately they will, I noticed there was patterns. So if you, I, I like kind of handpicked 22 of them because I just kind of repeat that whenever I, I see that principle, that sales thing coming into effect, I just pull it from my, my arsenal which I want you to do as the person watching or listening to this to be able to use it on whatever deal you're trying to make work. Okay. So, Hey, I'm, I'm dealing with a family that's about to kill each other uh, over an inheritance. This episode hopefully helps them uh, kind of gives them some insights. Um, and then these other episodes will do the same. And, and the idea for you is that you want to compose all of these into a written form that they can essentially uh, have. A, there's a book that they can reference and read um, either uh, ad hoc or, or ahead of time. Right. Yeah. So for example, the next episode on the text messaging would be, I can't get them on the phone. What is the right form and order of the words to get them back interested again? How can I get the not only interested, but also sign up price reduction okay. over text messaging? All right. So do you want to recap uh, this first one, uh, the, the, the quick lessons you learned and, and uh, quick tip, maybe give it quick tips. Hey, this is a situation you're dealing with. Here, here are some quick tips to keep in mind. Why would I do that, Jason? <laughs> I wanted to go get a cheeseburger, man. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> our audience, they have high demands, high standards. <laughs> Point one, fa- family may not stay family when inheritance is in the picture. At the end, uh, Point two, at the end of the day, it could get closed, but you might have to threaten legal action. Okay. Have, it's really logical if they don't don't want to deal with the consequences. Point three, uh, sales associates, make sure you're not dealing with more than four at a time, or even really that applies to any sort of employees under your contract. You'll be ineffective. Um, Point four was, I think, around more so you could have the front end delegated to bring in the pipeline if you get those procedures uh, documented right. But you should only be dealing with the hard issues as the CEO, whatever you want to be in your, in your uh, mm-hmm. company. All right. Thanks y'all. That was right, awesome. That's good. And thank you, Jason, for the great questions. Yeah, you're welcome. Before we end, I want to challenge everybody listening. If you have the courage to ask the great questions like Jason just asked, I want to jump on a, a Zoom with me, uh, especially folks that are beginners and novices, intermediates, I want to be able to make this more interactive because only if you ask the questions, the right questions like Jason just did, could I be most effective in sharing this knowledge. So if you want to apply to be a question asker, just write in the comments below and uh, 
your qualifications for that. And maybe you'll be joining me on the Zoom next time. All right. Thanks, y'all. Episode sponsored by Commonwalk, a real estate company dedicated to affordable housing investment. To learn more, visit commonwalk.com.